from the mobile EPR Creation Studio, driving up Interstate 95. This is Unconquered with Doc Staples, bringing you the Hot Takes podcast after the very pleasurable experience of getting to sit in the stands, well, stand in the stands, for the first time in probably 15 years that I've not been in the box or on the field really working the game, just getting a chance to enjoy this game uh, more from the perspective of, of the fans. Uh, like I said, for the first time in probably 15 years, Florida State defeats, actually curb stomps, LSU 45-24. to 24. And first of all, I really... I I think you have to give LSU credit for the improvement that they made last uh, over last year. After all, they did they did get to twenty four points this year, and that really would have gone a long way for them last year. But twenty four, just not enough improvement compared to last year to uh, to get them to a point of being competitive with a Florida State team that really, frankly, looked like the physically superior team throughout the majority of the evening and uh, to a degree that I think for most onlookers was probably pretty surprising Uh, there this was this was a really interesting game for a lot of reasons but first and foremost Florida State did not play well in the first half Florida State played flat out poorly in the first half and still managed to blow this game open in the second half due to having some game breakers, some game changers that LSU just had no no answer for. And first and foremost among them being Keon Coleman. And look, I'm not the only person who's been talking about Keon Coleman this offseason. I know that. But I will say I've been I've been beating that drum really since he signed. And I got a chance to go back and reevaluate him, and then uh, and then hearing from some folks who are at some of the informal player-led practices in the in in the uh, in the summer, some guys that were you know former Florida State players, that sort of thing, guys who I trust. And when they were saying, "You have no idea," like this dude is far and away the best player the best wide receiver on this team, and he's going to make a huge difference. Well, that says a lot. And (laughs) Keon Coleman is a bad man. And frankly, they could have gone to him more tonight than they did. Nine catches. I don't remember the uh, exact number of of yards he had on the the evening, but uh, three, three of those for touchdowns. And the way that LSU insisted on playing Florida State in this game, where they were going to take away Jordan Travis's legs and try to take away the running game and force Travis and those wide receivers to beat those one-on-one matchups, you know, that was, I mean, it was a bold strategy, but it didn't really work out well because ultimately, and I was sitting up in the stands saying, hey, I mean, look at those one-on-ones. I mean, you've got... Coleman there in a one-on-one and you know the the low safety they're playing quarters just take just take some post routes just throw it over the top and let him go get it 
you know, line him up, line him him and Johnny up in in uh, you know two receiver in twins to to one side and run you know double posts, you know the old college old uh, college route where you know you have the mill Spurrier Mills play where you have the dig on the inside and then the post over the top. I was just looking at those and going, look, if they're going to play these where you've got a single safety who's either playing low and, you know, he's going to have to step up against any sort of inside route, you know, your, your standard kind of uh, quarters looks, or in some cases just going straight one-on-ones. And I didn't think they took advantage of those in the first half all that much. In the second half, they came out and they basically said, look, anytime you're going to give us that, we're just going to take it. And, you know, that basically turned the game around. Essentially, when they decided our guys are better than your guys right there, and we're just going to let that one guy torch you repeatedly and change this game. When that happened, that was it. And, you know, Keon Coleman, to me, all the other additions and all of that were necessary to, to, to raise the floor and, and to some degree the ceiling to make this team a, you know, a playoff contender. Keon Coleman and his addition to this offense makes this team a championship contender. And there's a difference. You know, TCU was a team last year that made it to the playoff. But it's one thing to make it to the playoff. It's another thing to be a team that could actually contend when you get to the playoff. TCU really wasn't that. Yes, I know they beat Michigan last year. It's a multi-turnover game, you know, uncharacteristic game from Michigan. TCU played really well, managed to do that, but that was not a team that was going to beat Michigan and then Ohio State or Georgia. It's just not going to happen. They were just not that team. Not enough, not enough players on that team. Florida State tonight, I think, demonstrated that they are, they are the kind of team who, you know, I don't think they, they should be you know, favored as the national title favorite at this stage. But that is a team that is a championship contender. That's a team that can win it. And there aren't that many of those. There are a number of playoff contenders, teams that, you know, could make the playoff. There just aren't very many that could actually win it. And like I said, I think with Keon Coleman, that's a team that can win it with other things that go right. Now, that's, that's sort of takeaway number one. And again, it's the most obvious thing. Watching that game and watching how Coleman just took that game over, there you go. A couple other things that, you know, glancing through my notes here since, uh, of course, I'm going to have to keep my eyes on the road. You know, a couple other things that, uh, that, that basically, as you think through this game, are worth noting. Again, going back, number one, Florida State in the first half, that was, you know, that, it's, not, it's not impossible that that winds up being the most disjointed and, and worst half of football that Florida State plays this season. It's not, I mean, it may not end up being, but it very well could be. They didn't play well at all. And I ended up, uh, sort of by chance, ended up sitting in the same section as, as Jeff Cameron. We discovered that at halftime. I walked over, and you know, we were uh, we were talking about this, and he commented to me, he's like, "Florida State is the better team here. They look 
better. They've gotten better athletes. They're, you know, this is a better team. They just played like crap. You know, he used a little bit different language, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here. They just played really poorly. And my response was the same. Like, look, if I'm Mike Norvell and I go in at halftime and I'm down three after that half, I'm telling my team, guys, you just played a really bad half of football. You played with – you did not play smart. You know, you got a bunch of stupid penalties. You put yourself in bad spots with, you know, a few busts that were just not trusting your eyes, not communicating, a variety of things on defense, offensively doing some really dumb things, allowing penetration up front, you know, dropping the football, three costly drops in the first half, two from Johnny Wilson, one from Bell. You did everything you could to, you know, bumble, stumble all over yourself. And you're down three to a really good football team that you are better than. And I think that was the thing. They went in and they got, it was just a matter of like, if you're Mike Norvell, you just tell your team, all we got to do is clean a little bit of this up. And they're going to have a hard time hanging with us because they don't have the players to scare you. Because you always got the sense in the first half, or at least I got the sense in the first half, that LSU is kind of hanging on coverage-wise. And I don't know if it was as visible on television. I mean, for those of you who weren't there, I don't know if it was as visible. But it was one of those where it's like, oh, man, like they're, they're really selling out to stop, the, to stop the run. And then what they did, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but what they did is they, they did exactly what I expected them to do with Perkins and make him the spy to take away Travis's legs. But basically, they committed so much to that and put their, their corners out on an island enough that you could look at this and go, man, you know, those plays are there. And then you get out there the first drive, Jordan Travis very clearly playing with a very high adrenaline. You know, had it, he Brett Favre the first one, threw it, you know, over his receiver's head. And Coleman had, 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 was wide open, just airmailed him. Missed another one. You know, just not quite sharp. Then you had the two drops, and you know I'm going to need to go back and look at, uh, at the tape on a couple things. I don't remember exactly the down and distance on a couple of those. I'd normally have that even for the, uh, for the hot takes edition, but you know it's a little different when you're driving on the highway. So you know those drops, at least two of them were drive killers, right? So those are the things that those receivers are wide open, and not just wide open, but, but in position to potentially – make really big plays in the first one Johnny dropped that was that was a ball where the reason he dropped it is he knew he was in a one-on-one island situation where the corner was going to come up and if he breaks that tackle he's gone and he was already trying to spin out of the tackle when the ball hit his hands he just took his attention off of it for a second and he's not a natural enough hands catcher to be able to get that attention off without without you know some drops and that's a big part of his inconsistency as a player. But the thing is, we've all seen it. When he does make that catch and he has that one-on-one, he's 240 pounds. That corner doesn't always make that tackle. And he does, if he makes that catch, you're looking at maybe a shoelace away or maybe he breaks that tackle and goes, goes in for a score. You felt like FSU was on the verge of breaking through at any point 
in that first half. And on the flip side, you know, that first sequence, going through that, that first couple drives, you know, I, I, I turned to my buddy after the first couple drives where LSU got it. They had a really good play prepared where they released the back through the B gap and then got them out and, you know, sneaked them out into the flat, wound up getting a big play out of it, got down into, the, into, into a goal line scenario. And then Florida State gets a celebration penalty, right? Or a unnecessary roughness or whatever it was. Gets a, gets a penalty that gives an automatic first down. So they got to face more. And they still got the goal line stand. And not only that, got a sack. DJ Lundy got a sack that, you know, basically made sure they weren't operating out of their own end zone on that first drive. And then they march down the field and score on that first drive. So LSU comes away with nothing from being in the red zone, and then FSU marches down and scores. You know, Keon Coleman with just a filthy move on the safety on that little double, double slant where he catches it and, you know, makes a move on the safety and just floats right into the end zone. I mean, again, that, that dude is a bad man. But I turned at that point, you know, after they came away 7 nothing out of that sequence – I turned to, uh, to Nathan Forrest, who is actually the owner and proprietor of Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. I turned to Nathan Forrest and said, uh, that was a statement right there. That, that says a lot about, about this game. That LSU gets it down there inside the 10, inside the 5, gets a fresh set of downs, and still can't punch it in against Florida State's front and against their defense. And then Florida State takes it and marches it right down the field and scores, scores seven. All right. That tells you a lot. That, that, was, that, was a, that was a statement for the game. And that was one of the things, you know, it was not all bad for Florida State in that first half. You know, they had the two goal line stands. They, they did a lot that was, that was right in the, in the first half. But at the same point, they, with all those things, I mean, that, that was, they put themselves in the position to have to do that and should not have been in that situation to begin with. Again, especially for the uh, fresh set of downs down there where you had a stupid penalty that reset the, 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 the downs. A, a variety of different things over the course of that, that half put them in those positions and they just kept being good enough to overcome their own mistakes. Whereas LSU was just unable to capitalize on a number of the breaks that, in some cases, they made with you know good play calling, just overall good play. They made they put themselves in position, in better positions in that first half, and ultimately couldn't come out with more than being up three. And that was that was a bad sign for LSU, because once FSU got things cleaned up, then the better team was obvious. And again, it was, I think, pretty obvious early. And the biggest thing is LSU got essentially handled up front on both sides. Now, they got some tackles for loss. They got some stuffs. They got, you know, they, they did, they did, they were competitive. Their defensive line was competitive. Florida State's offensive line didn't dominate the game. But ultimately, when, when things started getting late, FSU was able to run the football. And they were able to put that game away running the football and taking care of business as LSU was more or less helpless to stop them. Once, once Coleman 
open things up out wide, that allowed the running game to, to do its thing, and then, you know, the Knolls were off and running. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of, th- those are my initial thoughts. So a few other things. Uh, one thing was, uh, I, there was a point in the, in the second half where I was, I was saying, you know, look, I'd, I'd really like to see 29 out there. I'd like to see Hill a little bit more out there because I felt like they, in this game, I think in the first half especially, I thought you could see Florida State missing Treshawn Ward. I thought that that they, again, Benson last year at times was not the ideal back against certain kinds of defenses, and there were, there were things that LSU was able to do to kind of slow him down. And I thought, you know, that what they really need is that, that sort of vision and, you know, bursty back that can give them a little bit more, you know, behind the line of scrimmage and, and initially through the line of scrimmage than what Benson sometimes offers. Just sort of the change of pace. And I thought they missed Trayshawn Ward's change of, change of pace in this one. And I don't think Toa Feely is is the answer in certain scenarios, and tonight was one of them. I, I, Toa Feely actually played pretty well tonight, and he had, a, uh, of course, that long catch where Florida State did to LSU, essentially what LSU had done to them on the first drive, um, I think really first play from scrimmage. Uh, and, you know, FSU did the same thing, and Toa Feely leaked out on that fourth down, which is a great call, by the way, first of all, and then, you know, well executed. Now, the most impressive thing about that play, by the way, Go back and watch it and watch Perkins. Harold Perkins is a freak. I mean, he is an unbelievable player. So Toa Feely's, you know, bra- broken away. He's, he's cut back. Looks like it's going to be a score. And then you see Perkins just a blur from behind, catch him, and then just collar him and take him down with a physicality that is just rare. That guy is a really good football player. And, yeah, wow. Um, but Toa Feely, and so I'll get to Perkins in a moment, but Toa Feely, I think, is, you know, he's an important player on this team. He needs to play a lot. He's a guy that, that I think as a versatile piece really offers you a lot. And especially in the passing game, doing some of the stuff where, you know, again, making that big play. I'm not saying Toa Feely, you know, is, shouldn't be out there. But I do think that the change of pace back that they really need to play more at this point is probably Hill. And I think we saw that in the second half. I mean, I was calling for him, and then, then he did go in, and he had a few runs that I thought injected a little bit of energy into the rush attack, and they, they got some good favorable down and distances out of it, and then eventually, you know, Keon Coleman ended a couple of those drives of scores. So I think, you know, with Ward not being out there, uh, especially against a team like Clemson, another really good uh, defensive front, I think you really have to to evaluate whether or not the the guy that you're that you're going to give the second most carries to in those scenarios might need to be twenty nine. It might need to be Hill. Thought he looked really good carrying the ball uh, in in those cases as the change of pace kind of Trayshawn Ward role. Uh, and again, I thought they missed Ward, especially in the first half, where they just were not able to get 
a whole lot going on first down and, you know, kept stepping, on, stepping in, in, in front of themselves in, in all sorts of ways. Now, a couple things just schematically, and I'm going to need to go back and watch this again, you know, take a look at everything I can get my hands on on this one. Uh, it was a nice advantage to be able to see the receivers downfield and all of that, and we'll get to that in a moment. But, uh, you know, a number of other things are I just can't really address. I, don't, I wasn't able to pay close enough attention to and go back and do replays and all of that like I normally would uh, if I'm watching this remotely. Uh, and even in the in the box, you know, normally that you've got replays that happen after each play, so you know you get to see a lot. Uh, in this case, you know, up front, I'm going to come back and revisit a lot of that. Few things we can talk about, but you know, a couple things that did stand out. One is I thought what LSU did. First of all, more or less LSU did with Perkins what I thought they'd do based on them moving him to Mike Backer, and that is. They they used Perkins as a piece to take away Jordan Travis's legs first and foremost. He was he was operating as a spy a good portion of the game. And, you know, a couple of cases where he he made plays or, or caused problems for, for Travis that, you know, led to led to some good outcomes for LSU. The the one in particular was uh Travis trying to escape a little bit there, uh in Getting, trying to cut back a little bit, sees Perkins and then throws that ridiculously dumb jump pass that should have been intercepted. Uh, that was that was not good, and that was you know he was affected by Perkins there. But for the most part, I think the decision to handle Perkins that way to put him in that role was actually something that Florida State was if if you, if you gave them that pregame and said, okay, here's how we're going to line up with him and this is what what he's going to do. I think they I think they were ultimately thrilled with that with that trade. Okay, so you mean to tell me you're going to you're going to use that guy just to take our quarterback's legs away primarily? You know, he's going to be as a, you know, you're going to move him around a little bit and you use him in some other cases, but for the most part, he's going to be just kind of in chase mode. Really? Well, in that case, we'll just not have the quarterback do a whole lot of running and we'll go where he's not. And in a couple cases, we'll run straight at him with the, with the back and that'll go well. I thought in that case, I, I think actually LSU didn't use their best player to his most game-wrecking talents in this game. I think they really should have rushed him much more and should have tried to use him coming downhill a lot more to try to make negative plays. And I think the, the, the approach that they took wound up being a good trade for Florida State's offense. I think FSU, looking at that film, is going to go, man, glad they didn't use him you know, in other ways. But, uh, but yeah. Now, a few other things just from my vantage point that I noticed – uh, one is I thought Florida State's corners on the whole played better than they have. Uh, first half in particular, the coverage is a little too soft. And you'd like to see them be a little bit tighter uh, and, and play with a little more confidence on some of that. I thought they tightened up in the second half and, and that that was a good thing. But, yeah, I think, uh, I think, that, that, I think overall the, the corners – handled their business in this game. Now, Neighbors got his 
you know, did, you know, got a number of catches, you know, was able to get some first downs and all of that. But Neighbors is a really good player. You know, Daniels is a, you know, can be an accurate thrower. Sometimes quality offenses are going to be good defense. But by and large, Fentrell Cypress looked good. Obviously, uh, Green had the huge interception, which was very tight coverage, very good. And I thought Green on the whole was the best of the corners and played really well. But the other guy that really stood out was AZ Thomas. I, I, Azaria Thomas had the best game he has had at Florida State and by a lot. And one of the things that Florida State did in the second half that really changed things, because, you know, LSU scored 17 in the first half and then they didn't score again in the second half until that game was over and Florida State had a bunch of freshman DBs on the field and ended up, ended up with a miscommunication, bad technique that went for a long score which threw off the stats, by the way. You throw that out, and Florida State won the uh, stat battle pretty significantly in this game. Uh, that, that obfuscated that a little bit. But uh, that, that guy, AZ Thomas, what they did with him in the second half really helped them put the clamps on LSU, and that was in situations where they thought Mason Taylor might be an important player and Taylor was was winning the matchups against against FSU's linebackers. He was running away from them. What they did is they put AZ Thomas on Mason Taylor and just played him in straight man to man on Mason Taylor and had him had him uh, had him take Taylor away. And there are a few plays where LSU set it up to go to Taylor, and you could see Daniels go. You know. Check, that was his first read, first place to go, and Thomas just had locked Taylor down, and there was no place to go, and that led to some negative plays. It led to some incompletions that went elsewhere, but it was just Thomas being that dude and taking away one of the most important weapons for that LSU offense and, and really a safety blanket and a guy that, that they want to go to in certain situations. When Florida State put Thomas on the field, essentially playing in the money position as, a, as an extra backer, but as a corner playing that, that position to take away uh, Mason, Mason Thomas in coverage, or Mason Taylor, that is, in coverage, that changed things for Florida State defensively. The other thing is that AZ was on the field as a wide corner in place of Fentrell Cypress a number of times, and again, handled himself really well. He was beat on one where you know he took a bad... He basically had a bad match zone zone drop and very quickly had to swivel and, and recover. And you could see the, the speed and the length there. And he basically just disrupted the receiver's eyes enough that he wasn't able to see the ball well enough to, to bring it in. Didn't make a breakup, but was there enough to affect the ultimate outcome of that play. So Thomas really handled himself well and is firmly in position to be a stopper defensively in this game I'm not actually sure that he didn't look better than Cyprus now again Cyprus in a number of cases also took away the number one uh option Daniels would you know drop back check and again Cyprus in a number of cases had just locked down whoever it was usually it was you know usually first option in those cases was going to be uh was going to be eight was going to be neighbors but they uh they they handled him and were in position all night where 
LSU was not, aside from that very last one, LSU didn't have a whole lot of, ex, uh, of explosive stuff that didn't come to the backs or tight ends in, in situations where they, uh, they were able to, uh, to use the flats. Now, that was a problem. They did use the flats in some areas, in some ways that Florida State's going to have to go back and, and reevaluate and take a look at what the miscommunications were there. Uh, again, from my perspective, I wasn't able to look at enough to be able to be sure on a couple of them what had happened. Again, the, on that first play, they they put the back through the B gap and you know used used that as a as a way to kind of sneak him out. And, and uh, I think that was probably uh, Deloach's responsibility, but. Again, making it difficult on the backer with how they how they handled that, how they how they set that up, and again, Florida State did that same thing to them with Toa Feely, or something very similar. So, you know, aside from some of those things, you know, LSU was not able to do a whole lot vertically in this game. We heard coming into this game a lot about uh, Jaden Daniels being improved as a downfield passer and as a guy that's ready to pull the trigger and 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 challenge defenses downfield more than he had last year and I thought in the first half he was he was hesitant I thought in the first half there were a few plays that might have been there to be made for him downfield but not a bunch there was not a whole lot of separation and he just was not willing to take that chance and then in the second half I thought he I thought he uh, was a little bit more decisive with the ball in the second half and that that uh, that did help at different points but ultimately the coverage was tight enough, and they got enough pressure on him at times to uh, to keep that from actually mattering, from the, to keep that from being able to uh, to threaten and score. So, I thought all in all, defensively, again, not great in the first half with some busts, some different things that they they could have done better. Uh, there was one one drive in there, which I'll probably do uh, another episode this week and go through once I've taken a look at some other stuff. But there was one drive in there where I didn't like the overall lineup that they had is the drive from the 50-yard line in the, uh, in the first half where they were able to drive down and, and score. Uh, that was a drive where you started with Omar Graham, Malcolm Ray, and Briggs, I think it was, as you're you know, at, you know, on the field all together. Didn't have verse. You know, basically a bunch of backups on the field there from the 50-yard line. And I understand if that's you know, the drive they're supposed to play, I just thought in terms of down and distance situation and all of that, that was probably a roll of the dice I would have preferred to not to have made. You know, if I'm if I'm there, I'm saying, okay, go with your starters, try to get them off the field, you know, with such a short field and uh and, and force something different. Let those guys take the next drive where LSU doesn't have quite as good of, of uh field position. But again, I think all in all they handled substitutions well and defensively as the game went on and they figured out what LSU wanted to do and they started making some changes going to a six defensive back look and really rotating that defensive line they rotated that defensive line a bunch in this game you could see the depth and that rotation helped keep them fresh late that essentially allowed them to lock LSU down from there so uh you know, helmet sticker to the defense for the second half and to, you know, Adam Fuller for figuring things out at halftime, what they needed to do. And again, a lot of that is is moving into the six defensive back stuff, you know, taking away Mason Taylor with uh, with AZ Thomas and, and different things along those lines uh, and, and finding ways to get some pressure. So all in all, 
pretty good from the from the defensive side. And again, offensive side, schematically, I thought in the first half they were a little bit disjointed, trying to kind of force some balls and all that. But it's easy to easy to say that when you're not executing well and when you're dropping the ball, when you do have opportunities to make some plays. Uh, they just kept stepping on their own feet. Once they stopped that, the offense started flowing. And I think from here, it's going to be really hard for anybody to hold this this offense under under 40 points. It's going to be uh, very difficult. I'm, I'm not sure. I said, and again, I said this in the in the preseason. I don't think there's a team that's going to hold this offense under 30. Clemson's defense is better than LSU's, and especially at corner, they I think they've got better better players to uh, to throw at Wilson and and uh, and Coleman. But again, the problem that Florida State's going to present you this year is you can't double cover everybody. If you decide to double key on Coleman or commit your best coverage guy to that guy everywhere and follow him everywhere, you're going to have other opportunities from other players on the field. And, you know, Johnny Wilson's not going to drop two in every game. You know, when he comes down with those every time in, in, you know, this game or that, you know, maybe he has no drops against Clemson. If he goes out and does that, now all of a sudden you've got that additional weapon. You're going to have Jaheim Bell. I doubt we're going to see him drop it a bunch. You've got some options and some weapons to where it's going to be very difficult for teams to take away all five. Even a defense of the, of the caliber of Clemson, I think, is going to have some difficulty with this offense. And that's despite the fact that, again, there was so much sloppiness and so much that FSU could do better after this game. They dropped 40, uh, 45 points on LSU and, frankly, just didn't play that great. That says a lot about where this team could be by the end of the season. They're going to have to stay healthy, but... Game one is down. Game one down, and now I think the numbers are going to favor Florida State to probably be in the eleven win range. Get through Clemson. You get through. You get through month one, four and zero, oh, and you got a real shot to run the table. It's a really good football team in Tallahassee. Mike Norvell has built a bully, and this is a this is a physical, passionate football team. They got to get a little smarter. Got got to be able to handle their business just a little better. Uh, on some things, but all in all, it's going to be a fun te- fun team to watch and a fun season with a legitimate ta- uh, championship contender in Tallahassee for the first time in you know nine ten years. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank my advertising partners, EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate at shenrealestate.com and the Research Triangle of North Carolina, garage makeovers in South Florida. And then, of course, if you have not stopped by the Unconquered Podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, you can buy stickers and all sorts of other gear. Go ahead and do that. Always helps support the podcast. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Dave Blair, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Post us on social media and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.